reason we're all here is because we're not all there, and that's disturbing. Um, but if you're here today, and, and uh, everyone who raised their hand apparently are here, there's a connection card on here. Please detach that, fill that out. That's very, very helpful to us. I would consider it a favor, a personal favor, if you would fill that out. Whether you're a first-time guest or long-time attender, somewhere in between, uh, please fill that out. Uh, there's a lot we can learn from Joseph of the Old Testament. Last week in part one of our Bloom Where, Where You're Planted series, we learned how to endure the pit of adversity. Today we will learn how to serve from the example of Joseph. It's part two in the house of Potiphar. Joseph, you remember, was the favorite of Jacob's 12 sons. His brothers resented him because of the special relationship that he had with his dad and and for his grandiose dreams of preeminence and power. So when they see him in the distance, coming to check on them by order of their father, they conspire, the Bible says, to slay him. Our text this morning is the first six verses of chapter 39, but for the sake of context, let's back up to Genesis 37, We'll begin in verse 24 where it says, And they took him, his brothers, and they cast Joseph into a pit. And the pit was empty, there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread, his brothers, and they lifted up their eyes, and they looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery, balm, and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh, and his brethren were content with that. Verse 28, Then there passed by the Midianite merchantmen, and they drew and lifted Joseph up out of the pit, and they sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites. They seem to use those two words interchangeably, by the way, Ishmaelites and Midianites. And they sold him for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought, and the Ishmaelites, the Midianites, brought Joseph down into Egypt. Verse 31. And they took, the brothers took Joseph's coat, and they killed a kid of the goats, and they dipped the coat into the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, This is what we have found. Do you know if this is Joseph's coat or not? And he knew it. And he said, It's my son's coat. An evil beast has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes, and he put on sackcloth upon his loins, and he mourned his son many days. And all his sons and his daughters rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted. He was inconsolable. And he said, I will go down to the grave mourning my son. And thus his father wept for him. And the Midianites, meanwhile, sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's, and a captain of the guard. That ends chapter 37. 
It ends with Jacob mourning for his favorite son, who he had been led to believe was dead. We can skip chapter 38. It takes kind of a weird deviation from the story of Joseph into the escapades of his brother Judah. That's a sermon for another day. But the rest of the book of Genesis, from 39 through 50, will be devoted to the amazing story of Joseph. And in chapter 39, we pick up the saga. Here we learn of Joseph's fate after being sold by his brothers and traveling as a prisoner in a trade caravan a great distance. Verse 1 of chapter 39 says, And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, Potiphar, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him an overseer. Potiphar made Joseph an overseer over his house, and all that he had, all that Potiphar had, he put into the hand of Joseph. Verse 5, it came to pass, from the time that he made him overseer, from the time that Potiphar made, hear me now, from the time that Potiphar made Joseph overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had, and Potiphar left all that he had in Joseph's hand, verse 6 says, and he knew not what he had except the bread that he ate. And Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. So the caravan finally makes its way into Egypt where the market for slaves is booming. Joseph finds himself a long way from home on the auction block to be purchased as a slave and to be brought into Potiphar's magnificent house. He'd been sold like a piece of property to the Midianites by his brothers, and now they had flipped him and sold him to Potiphar. Last week, Joseph in the pit was a metaphor for our times of adversity. Today, Joseph in Potiphar's house is a vivid illustration of our service to God. Potiphar was an Egyptian man, said to be one of Pharaoh's officials in verse 1 of chapter 39. This means he was a person of some importance. The phrase captain of the guard indicates he was a, a captain of Pharaoh's bodyguards or the captain of the prison guards or a peacekeeping force of some kind. Joseph was left to serve in the house of Potiphar. So how did he serve? Well, first of all, he served with integrity. Joseph had been stripped of his coat, but not his integrity. Somehow, in the midst of his trials and tribulations, he was able to see God in it. 
In fact, years later, when his brothers stood before him with much remorse over their actions, Joseph was able to say, Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither, for God sent me before you to preserve life. Joseph served, think of this now, given his set of circumstances, Joseph served as though God had sent him and appointed him to serve there. As a result, he's promoted within a relatively short period of time. At least it seems that way to us. And why is that? Joseph was different. Joseph was somehow different. Joseph acted in integrity. The word integrity comes from the same root word as the math term integer. An integer is a whole number. It's a number that's not a fraction. It's a number complete in itself. And such was the case with the young man Joseph. He was not fragmented. He was not one way here and another way here. So we can assume that every menial task assigned or entrusted to Joseph was done with excellence. And you know, and I know, how that plays out in the work world, right? Like we learned last week, life isn't fair. It's just like your job. When, when something needs to be done and the boss is under the gun, who does he give the assignment to? Does he give it to the lazy guy? Does he give it to the person with a history of slipshod work? Does he give it to the guy who doesn't do much? No. He gives it to the one who works efficiently, effectively, and doesn't complain. He gives it to the one with integrity. He gives it to the one he can trust. And that was Joseph. I hope that's you. Many years ago, I met a supervisor at a place of employment in the area. And I knew a Christian man from the community that worked at the same place. And so I asked the supervisor, it's kind of a point of connection, if you knew this guy. And the answer that the supervisor gave me made my heart sink. He said, he's the worst employee I've got. There's no scripture you can read, no act of kindness you can do, no track that you can give that will overcome a lack of integrity. It just reveals you for the hypocrite you are. And it taints the work of other believers who do operate in integrity and honor. Joseph teaches us the most insignificant of tasks can be done with the loftiest of principles. Our lot in life is more than we think. We're part of a grand tapestry assembled and amassed by the great God of the universe who set the planets into their orbits and knit you together in your mother's womb. He sees it all. And with him, all things work together for good. Our lot in life is more than we think. Joseph found himself in a miserable place 
in a miserable set of circumstances, a long way from where he would choose to be. But he was still a man of integrity. And that was reflected in his attitude, his interactions with others, and his work. And God used him in Potiphar's house. If we asked your boss behind closed doors what kind of employee you are, what would he say? He gives me all he's got. She's reliable and trustworthy. I give him all the tough jobs because he always gets it done. I leave her in charge without giving it a second thought. Or would he say, she's the worst employee I've got. I believe any place of employment should be abundantly blessed because a Christian works there. That was the case in Potiphar's house. The Bible says, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. If you work with the integrity of Joseph, God will bless your company. If you work with the integrity of Joseph, God will bless your business. If you work with the integrity of Joseph, God will bless your place of employment for your sake. Now the kicker, as far as Joseph's integrity goes, is found in verse 6. Over time, it says, Potiphar simply entrusted all that he had into Joseph's care. Potiphar was unaware of what he possessed. Joseph was entrusted with it all. Joseph did well because he served with his gifts. Joseph apparently had some skills. He was a visionary. He could see how things could work better. And apparently, as more and more was entrusted to Joseph, he found ways to refine and revamp the system already in place. And over time, the Bible says, the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hands. Verse 4, and Joseph found grace in Potiphar's sight, and he served him. And Potiphar, hear me now, Potiphar made him an overseer over his house and all that he had, all that Potiphar had, he put into Joseph's hand. Verse 5, and it came to pass from the time that he made Joseph overseer in his house and over all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake and the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. It seems that Joseph's gift was administration. Potiphar made him an overseer. Later in our series, Joseph oversees seven years of prosperity and seven years of famine. The Bible teaches in Proverbs 18, 16 that a man's gift makes room for him. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. I worked for 24 years in a factory here in Superior with Superior Fiber Products when I started, Georgia Pacific by the time I left. I have no mechanical aptitude. I have no industrial prowess. I was in many ways a fish out of water. But I did bring what I had to the table. I learned well. I may not have understood all the inner workings, but I could follow directions. I could do what I was told. 
I think I had a good attitude. I had a healthy body and a strong back. I cared about my work. I cared about the company. I cared about the guys I worked with. I was limited, but I worked within my giftings, and I made the most of it. So much of what we do is attitude. There's a story told of a, a shop foreman named Bob. And they had two new employees that day starting on opposite sides of the shop floor. So he went to one and introduced himself. He said, hey, I'm Bob, the, the shop foreman. I just want to hear a little bit about your story. Tell me about where you worked and the people you worked with and your, the last guy you worked for. And the guy says, I hated my job, hated the place that I worked. Couldn't stand the people I worked with, and my boss was an idiot. And he says, what's it like to work here? And Bob says, well, I think you'll pretty much find it the same here. So he makes his way across the floor to the other new guy. He says, hey, my name's Bob. I'm the shop foreman. I'm just looking to hear a little bit about your story, where you worked before, the people you worked with. And the guy says, well, I tell you, I, I had a great job. I loved the job that I had. And the people I worked with, they were the best. And the boss, he taught me so much. I loved my boss. What's it like to work here? And Bob says, I think you'll pretty much find it the same here. So much of what we do is attitude. Attitude has everything to do with how you serve. And that's revealed in Joseph as he served in Potiphar's house. Joseph served as under the Lord. The text tells us the Lord was with Joseph. That's an impressive statement. And sometimes in our reading, we glance over it as if it's almost inconsequential. The Lord was with Joseph. We read over it almost in passing, but it's everything. The Lord was with Joseph in Potiphar's house. Joseph had traveled many miles. I'm sure his heart was breaking at the way he was treated by his brothers. He missed his father and he missed his friends. He was uprooted and now he was living in a foreign land. He was no longer in control of his own destiny. Those dreams of power, authority, and influence that he shared with his brothers now looked like a pipe dream. The foolish fantasy of a teenager with too much time on his hands. He had only one thing going for him. The Lord was with him. So how would he serve? The answer, as unto the Lord. You know, I'm, I'm encouraged that no matter where we are, no matter how bleak our circumstances, the Lord is with us. It's one of the great and foundational promises found in Scripture. It's found in Hebrews 13.5. I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. You may not always sense his presence, but he's there. As the doctor gives you the difficult news or the bleak prognosis, you may feel alone, but you're not alone. And when the rent is due and the funds are already depleted, you may not see God there, but he's there, ever aware of your circumstances, ever aware of your needs. 
When the relationship is hanging by a thread, your spouse has gone their own way, or your child has strayed from the path, and all hope seems lost, God is still there. When the clouds of oppression are so thick that you can hardly raise your head off the pillow to begin another day, God is there. We need to remember, hear me church, we need to remember God is excruciatingly patient. He's not the God of a quick fix. Oh, justice will eventually prevail, but it will not be in your timing, and it won't be your justice. It will be his justice in his time. But he has you in his view. He's holding you in the palm of his all-encompassing hands. And he's collecting every tear that you cry. You may not see him today. You may not feel him today. But like the sun on a cool, overcast day, being out of sight doesn't mean it's not there. Rest assured, church, knowing that even in your darkest, loneliest hours, the Lord is with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And the Lord was with Joseph in Potiphar's house. But that's not the whole story. Verse 3 tells the rest of the story. Not only was the Lord with Joseph, but Potiphar could see that the Lord was with Joseph. And maybe this is where we drop the ball. As, and his master saw that the Lord was with Joseph. Maybe that's why the Bible teaches us not just to avoid evil, but to avoid the appearance of evil. That's why we're taught to let his light shine through us. Maybe it's why we're instructed to be a peculiar people. We're, we're to be a people set apart, distinct, and different. If we're like everyone else, then what difference can we make? If we're like the world, then we have absolutely nothing to offer the world. But being born again, church, but being born again changes everything about us from the way we think to the way we serve. Colossians 3 says, Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive your reward, the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Joseph served as unto the Lord in Potiphar's house. Joseph served heartily. He toiled as though the Lord Jesus Christ was his immediate supervisor. Christianity Church must be more than something we think about on Sunday. It must impact us 24 hours a day, 168 hours a week, 8,760 hours a year. Apparently, this was the case with the young man, Joseph. And others in the household saw it. There was something different about Joseph. There was a joy that transcended his circumstances. 
There was a peace that passed understanding and a confidence in something beyond himself, an assurance that though times were tough, God was still in control. Joseph was different, and Potiphar noticed. Potiphar noticed the faithfulness of Joseph. We all want to be fruitful, right? We all want to be fruitful, but fruitful is the byproduct of faithful. You can't control fruitful. You can only control faithful. And faithfulness based on how you're doing today isn't faithfulness at all. Are you faithful in your service for the Lord? Are you serving at all? Well, let me look very briefly at three reasons why we don't serve. Three reasons why we don't serve. Number one, we're too busy. We're too busy. It's a question of priority. But what people who think they are too busy to serve fail to realize is that every week they are served here at church by busy people. Second, why don't we serve outside commitments? We're, we are just overbooked. We are overbooked with kids, sports, work, recreation, leisure, and a host of other activities that may not be bad in and of themselves, but cumulatively they gobble up our time and rob us of the privilege and the responsibility of serving. Anna Calori and Marla LaRochelle have been over our nursery for quite some time. They're stepping down at the end of June. So we set up a meeting with Brooklyn Hayward, and we asked her if she would pray and think about heading up our ministry to the babies. I, I love her response. As she sat in the office with, with me and Anna, she said, I don't have to think about it. I'll do it. Reminded me of the great prophet Isaiah who said, Here I am. Send me. We need to simplify life a little. We need to make the work of the Lord a priority. That's what Joseph did in Potiphar's house. And finally, sometimes we don't serve because no one asks. Well, I'm asking. Consider yourself asked. I'm going on record as asking. Consider yourself invited. There's a place for you to serve at Central Assembly. Now to that end, you may say, you know, where should I serve? I don't know where I, where I can serve. I don't know what my abilities are, my giftings. To begin that process, these two piles on either side of the platform are spiritual gift tests. And so what I would love for you to do is at the end of service today, and we're going to have an opportunity for people to be prayed for here in just a minute. But while there's activity up here, come up and grab a spiritual gift test. You take it home, you, you, you do it yourself. It's a survey. That's a better word than a test, I guess. There are no wrong answers. And then you, you uh, and I don't want to say grade it either, you grade it yourself. Uh, you, you find the results yourself. It'll show you uh, areas of gifting, spiritual gifts. And then on the back of your program, 
There's a box to check. It says, I, I would love to talk to somebody about my spiritual gift test and where I fit. Now, you don't have to check that box to take the test, okay? If you want one of these, come and take it. Just take it home. If you want to talk about it after we, you know, make an appointment, we would love to talk about where you fit in your service at Central Assembly. I'm running a little bit late today. Give me, give me a couple more minutes. That's why we don't serve. No one asked, too busy, overbooked. Now let's look at why we should serve. There are a myriad of reasons why you should serve. Let me give you three. First of all, serving demonstrates the reality of your faith. Serving demonstrates the reality of your faith. If you've been saved for any length of time, and you don't serve somewhere at church. And I know I come from a weird perspective, but I, for 24 years I worked in a factory. I sat where you sat. I haven't always been the pastor. But I know I have a weird perspective. But if, if you've been saved for any length of time and you attend church and you don't serve anywhere, honestly, I don't get that. I don't understand that. Serving demonstrates the reality of your faith. Something is missing in the faith equation. You say you have faith, but James says, show me your faith by what you do. Christianity is not something you sign up for. It's not a club that you join. It should permeate every aspect of your life. Christianity changes you from the inside out. It transforms you at the very core of your being. It changes the desires of your heart. And if he hasn't changed you, then I'm really concerned that he hasn't saved you. Serving demonstrates the reality of your faith. Another reason to serve is that you will forge lifelong relationships. My life has been so enriched by the Steve Sislows, the John Balls, and the Denny LaRochelles, and a host of others who I got to know through 35 years of serving here at Central Assembly. Now, they aren't just my Christian friends. They are my best friends in the whole world. You will forge lifelong relationships by serving. A third reason to serve is you can make a difference. You can make a difference in the lives of individuals. In the Making the Connection, our monthly newsletter, one of the articles is called, I'm sorry, it's, it's called The Central Connection. In the newsletter, there's an article called Making the Connection. And in that article every month, we ask those people that we interview, tenders of Central Assembly, who at Central Assembly has made a difference in your life? And people are often surprised to find their name listed there. Randy Ellison was listed as someone's person of influence recently. My wife Rhonda was listed. Paula Sislo, Angie Miller, Kaylin Zimmer, Roy Brown, Jim and Char Steria were listed recently. Ann Madison, Levi Laporte, Phil Steria, Bethany Hooray, Amy Carey, and many others have been mentioned as people of influence in the lives of those who call Central Assembly home. In our most recent membership class where these four attended, 
I ask the same question. Who's made a difference in your life? Two of the four people said Mark Duffy. Mark Duffy will never preach a sermon and he'll never sing a song. But Mark Duffy serves with integrity. He uses his gifts and he serves as unto the Lord. And Mark has made a difference in the lives of the people who call Central Assembly home. You can too if you serve like Joseph did in Potiphar's house. There's always a reason not to serve. The question is, do you have enough reason to serve? Do you love God enough to serve? Do you have enough passion for lost people to serve? Do you have enough gratitude for the life that God has entrusted to you to serve? Then serve with integrity. Use your gifts for God's glory and serve heartily as unto the Lord. Lord, I pray for the folks that are here this morning. I pray that you would inspire them to serve. There isn't a, a sermon that I can preach. There aren't enough eloquent words for me to put together that can motivate somebody to give their life to you. Holy Spirit, I invite you into this place to continue the work in the hearts and lives of the folks here this morning. I pray, Lord, that it would start with giving their life to you. They would surrender it all. They would confess their sin. Say, Lord, I, I know I can't save myself. I need the work of the cross. I need Jesus, the one who came to die for me. And then, Lord, I pray that as we give our life to you, as we surrender, that would manifest itself in service. It's so enriching, so rewarding. I pray that for the folks that attend here in Jesus' name. Two quick things. First of all, if I asked you to be a prayer this morning, would you make your way to the front and, and uh, prepare to pray for folks as they come forward? But the last thing I want to leave you with is the reason I'm so passionate about this is because I don't want you to miss out. I don't want you to miss out on serving. And you may not know what that looks like yet. That's okay. Come and talk to somebody. Come and find a place that works for you. It doesn't have to be a miserable experience. In fact, it'll be a positive experience. We'll have you serve within your gifting in a place that you're comfortable, something that, that works for you, and you can make a difference. So maybe as, we, as the worship team plays, Maybe you, you can come forward for any need you want. Need of healing, need of direction, provision, whatever it might be. Or how about this? You come forward and you say, I want to give my life to Jesus. Would you pray with me? These, any of these folks would be honored to pray with you as you give your life to Jesus. Another prayer request could be, you know, I, I need to find a place to serve. Would you pray that God would reveal that to me? These folks would love to pray to that end with you. 
So I encourage you to stand, make your way to the front. Don't forget to grab a, a spiritual gift survey. The altars are open. Come and be prayed with.